0: Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's beautiful, thank you. Paul writes to this church for the, actually it's the third time he's written to him, but it's the second letter we have. He says, "Uh, we don't lose heart. He says, we don't lose heart. He's telling them, that's just something we don't do. We don't lose heart. And he wants to elaborate on that a little bit, following what he says in chapter 3, which we prayed this morning. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He doesn't want us losing heart. God doesn't want us losing heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Let's talk about that for a second. You and I have... For those of us in Christ, for those of us who will come to accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, those of us in a personal relationship who have confessed our sin to him and he's since forgiven us of our sin, who died on a cross on our behalf as penalty for our sin and by whose stripes we are healed, those of us who are in a relationship with him, we are saved. The Bible says we are born again. He says you've received mercy. What does that mean? That means what you actually deserve has been withheld from you. This is good news. Grace means that I'm gonna give you something you don't deserve. Mercy means I'm gonna withhold from you what you do deserve. So Paul is saying to these people, since we have this ministry of freedom, so to speak, we've received mercy. In other words, what we really had coming, what we really deserve, what, what our life and our sin really warrants, we're not getting. Christ got it. He got the penalty. He got the punitive action. He got the the weight of our sin. We come off scot-free. We have mercy. All right. So this mercy is yours. He says we do not lose heart. But if we have something going on in our life, we have a trial, we have a challenge, we have a sickness, we have a disease, we have something going on that is difficult, a challenge of some kind, we cannot draw the conclusion that that's a punitive thing on God's part. We're not being punished. We've already received mercy. God's not punishing us, he punished his son on our behalf. So it, it's, the, it's the reality that we live in a, in a fallen world, but it's not a punitive thing. You didn't do anything wrong. So if you've you got an illness, you, got, you may have made some bad decisions, you may have made some bad choices, Maybe you made some bad financial choices. Maybe you made some bad health choices. Whatever the case may be, there are consequences to our choices, but we're not being penalized. We're not being punished. That's what he says. He says, We have received mercy. It's not because you have a lack of faith. You don't have have a sickness because you have a lack of faith. Don't ever say this to anyone. Well, God just hadn't healed you yet because you don't believe enough. You don't have have enough faith. Don't ever say that. That right there shows you have no idea what you're talking about. And you don't want to look like you don't know what you're talking about. So don't ever say that. Someone is not sick because they lack faith. You need a mustard seed of faith. We don't want to put that on top of somebody who's already sick. He said, "Uh, I just want to make sure you don't lose heart. What is that? Well, you know, losing heart, you know, is going on. It's going on in this world today. I think it's going on in the church. People are losing heart. What does that mean? It means to, he says, faint not. It means you get faint. You get spiritually lightheaded. You get um, indifferent. Indifferent. Apathetic. That's losing heart. It means utterly spiritless. It means you might have the Holy Spirit, but what, you are, what you're living, what you're thinking, what drives you, what motivates you, what, what, what brings you up in the morning, gives you something to look forward to, isn't there anymore. You're, you're, you're losing heart. He says, don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. I don't want you spiritless, indifferent, depleted, exhausted, weary and well-doing. We have no time for that. Frankly, we don't have a whole lot of time, period. We definitely don't have time for that. That's what he's trying to tell these people. We don't need that. Don't lose courage. That's what lose heart means. Lose courage or be discouraged. I'll tell you what. I often come across people like, I don't know what my ministry is. I don't know if I'm an evangelist and this and that. I don't know if I'm a whatever. Whatever the case may be, let me tell you what your ministry is. If it's nothing else, it's Encouragement. Encouragement, why? Because people are discouraged. Look at that, discouraged, people do not have courage. Discouraged, and they need encouragement. What does that mean? Is it like flattery? No, people do not need flattery. People don't need superstition. People don't need flattery. People don't need sentimentality. Let's get past that. We don't need sentimentality and feel-good things. We need encouragement. Something that when you say it to somebody, it, it, it basically tells them who they are. Let me tell you who you are. So you can start to live as you are, who you are called to be. You're a child of the Most High God. You're a You're a man of God, you're a woman of God, you're set apart and consecrated, you're holy, you're anointed, you're gifted, you're in the palm of God's hand, nothing can pluck you away. Tell me something that's going to happen in my life because who I am, not because of what I've done or haven't done. Encouragement, something to give someone courage to face the hand they've been dealt at the moment comes out of you and I telling them who they are, not what they have or have not done. Because most people have this, I don't know where they get it, like I have to do a certain level at a certain intensity, at a certain frequency, at a certain whatever to be whoever it is I think I need to be. Man, that sounds like a, a, a New Year's resolution gone bad about January 14th. Think about it this week. Who can you encourage? Who can you let know who they are or who they're called to be in Christ? Now, that's getting somewhere. Even your kids, when they make goofball mistakes... Even though people don't want to hear it, tell them who they are. That's encouragement. That's not discouragement. Now, if you're discouraged in this world in which we live today, I guarantee you it has something to do with watching the news. Oh, my word. If you're not convinced that this world without Christ is in a real bad shape, you yourself may need to get some therapy. This is the most obvious thing I've ever seen before. This world is evil, disgusting, sin-ridden, violent. Not everybody, but just enough to get everyone else discouraged. Encourage somebody this week. Tell them who they are, not what they need to do or what they need to do more or at a higher level. Let me encourage you today. You're faithful. You have a hunger for truth or you wouldn't be here. You're a worshiper of the one true God. When two or three of you touch any one thing, there God is in the midst. God hears and answers your prayers. God is teaching you something. He's demonstrating something to you. He's lifting you up. He's the lifter of your head. He's the, you are the apple of his eye. Let me encourage you today, your life is not being lived in vain. You are making a difference. You're a vessel, a tabernacle of the Spirit of the Most High God. Where you go, so goes the kingdom of God. You have an authority, whether you realize it or not, I don't know. But you have an authority over death, hell, and the grave. You're not a, you're not a, a spectator that could do nothing as you sit and watch the world fall apart. You are a participant as a priest and minister of the Most High God in the single most noble endeavor ever to face civilization, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're a priest. You have a high priest. Get your thinking up. Let me tell you who you are. If you activated everything that you are in Christ, this world would turn out a dime. Encourage. Don't lose heart. Second Corinthians four and five. For what we preach is not ourselves. Man, that's good news. That's really good. You think the gospel is good news? That's even good news. That's good news right there. We're not preaching ourselves. Not promoting ourselves. We're too honest with ourselves for that. There's a higher calling. There's a someone else to preach. There's there's a standard that never lets you down. There's the The object of our affection. He is the hope within us. He is the root and the offspring of Jesse. Oh man, we preach Christ, he says. Jesus Christ, not Christ, Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, the anointed one now, who rose from the dead on the third day. That's who we preach. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You live for Jesus' sake. You live for his name's sake. You you exist for his good pleasure. You are his treasured possession. You are his pocket change. Your life exists for his enjoyment. you You don't live for your enjoyment. You live for his enjoyment. Because you don't have your own life, nor do I. Your life is gone. He ransomed you. He bought it. You are owned by him. I don't know. You're gonna have a really hard time getting encouraged here this morning if you think it's all about you, because we don't preach ourselves, we preach the one who bought us with a price, ransomed us from a nasty, vile kidnapper. Took the blinders off our eyes, the shackles off our wrists, ransomed us, pulled us right out of the darkness into his marvelous light, and says, Now your mind for you to live as Christ and to die is gain. Oh, man. Anything that happens in us or to us, any challenge or anything that we face is for his glory, not for our discouragement. It's for him. It's it's for you to be his minister in your illness. As soon as we get the paradigm straight, everything else really becomes clear. You exist. I exist to glorify him. In word and in deed. He says, be holy because I am holy. Represent me. You're my ambassador. You're my representative. So whatever situation you find yourself in, and they're not always good. They're not always good. You're living your life to glorify me. There it is. Mission number one. Be a friend first to Christ with Christ, be a servant second. If you're a servant without a friendship, you'll burn out and you'll lack motivation to keep going. If you're a friend first, you're always going to serve your friends. If he's your best friend, then you'll give him your best service. And you'll continually be empowered to keep doing so. And you won't grow weary in well-doing. Be a servant first and a friend second, you're going to get crispy like burnt bacon. I'm telling you, it's coming down the pike. It's, you'll, be, you'll be able to smell the burnt bacon when you get burnt out, fried, and you lose heart because you were a servant first and a friend second. You give generously to a friend. You, you, you fellowship with a friend. You can serve a friend, but you're not a hireling there just to do a job. It doesn't work that way. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 19. Therefore, because of all this freedom, we do not lose heart. This is good. This is good. I don't want to lose heart. I want to look at the rest of my life as two and a half, three decades left where I'm not going to lose heart. And I don't have to worry about losing heart. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to worry about one solitary thing. Because I, like you, the very hairs of our head number. If God knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows when I got an issue. What do I have to tell him all my issues for? He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. I'm telling him something he already knows. I already don't have to worry about anything. He already knows what I need before I ask it. Why am I preoccupied with him meeting every one of my needs? I'm actually disagreeing with the fact he already knows them. If He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He knows when this 200-and-something-pound-whatever-I-am falls to the ground because he could probably feel the thud. Yeah, he's pretty much aware if I need something. He can let me know. I don't need to let him know. I guess I can, but I don't want to get preoccupied with that, you see. I don't want to spend most of my life telling him what I need if he already knows it. I'm wasting time. I'd rather go to it and say, hey, listen, you know, you're God and everything, and you've already told me all of this, so I'm counting on you to take care of this in my life so I can go take care of other people, because you're my friend first, and because you're my friend first, I know you're going to look out for me. I'm not going to live paycheck to paycheck the rest of my life because my friend already is aware of the fact I don't need that kind of aggravation. If I'm going to try to help somebody else, he called me to help. That's a given. if our motivation is to serve him in a context of a friendship and I'm going to be faithful in my giving I have really nothing to worry about what am I worried about what, why would he even talk about it why would, he, why would he even bring it up with him it's a given, it's a foregone conclusion that's already settled I watch my retirement account dip, plummet dive, plunge I go yeah whatever Whatever. People that are really well-off tell me to buy while there's blood in the streets. I don't know who came up with that. I, I don't need to be preoccupied with that, neither do you. Why, 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 what good is that? Make good decisions. Then he says this. He says, don't lose heart. And he says, even though our outward man here we go. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Ooh, there it is. Have you looked, <laughs> guys, ladies? Just don't pay attention. Do something else. <laughs> guys, have you looked at yourself in the mirror lately? There's I mean there's a transformation going on. There's a migration southward. <laughs> You've heard me say this before. It's like furniture disease. Your chest and fell down in your drawers. <laughs> what is going on with the outward man? All right, ladies, come on back. <laughs> it's taking more and more effort. Just to stay above the equator. So the outward man is, he's perishing. That's what he's doing. And for that matter, you can't live from the outside in. Really. If you live from the outside in, you're discouraged before you even get started. What does that mean? I ebb and flow, I rise and fall in the approval of others, the affirmation of others. No, I can't live on other people's approval of me, and become more enamored with that than I and miss God's approval of me. Can you do that? I don't want to do that. I don't want to live from the outside in. Though I don't want the stock market influenced by Vladimir Putin, of all people, to affect how I feel about my life and my future. I'm not going to live from the outside in. I'm going to live from the inside out. See, the old man's perishing. Everything's perishing. Everything's deteriorating out there. Look at this verse, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Look at the, per- the, the uh, dichotomy that Paul writes, the outward versus the inward. Ask yourself this question right now, am I living more outward or inward? As I approach my life, am i more outwardly directed, or is, is my well-being determined from the outside or from the inside? Does my motivation come from pleasing people in a fear of man, or honoring God in a fear of the Lord? Two different ways. One will be very fruitful. One will be very devastating. Inward versus outward. i tell you, if you live, my codependent friends out there, listen to me. If you live, and you live in such a manner that the quality of your life is dependent upon other people outside in, there's, there's a way to break that cycle. Yeah, I get a bunch of people to pray for you. That's a good one. Separate yourself from everyone who defines you. Seize solitude often. Find out who you are apart from everyone else. Sit at the feet of God. And let him tell you and encourage you and tell you who you are. So when you return back to these people that you and I have empowered to influence us, in an unduly formal way, you'll see that they have as many issues as you do. And that you're defined by your God who created you, who called you, and who knew your name before you were ever born. He's numbered the hairs of your head and he's ordained your days. He's prepared good works in advance for you to do. We've got to start living from the inside out if we're dealing with that kind of nonsense and not the outside in. The inward life is all about the secret, the secret intent of your heart. This happens often. We watch one another, we look at one another, we draw conclusions about one another all based on what we see on the outside. If we're not transparent enough with one another, if we don't communicate enough with one another, if we don't share the secrets of our heart with one another, then we all deal with one another on a superficial level based on what we see and experience. We never afford anyone the credit of being who they truly are on the inside versus the outside. I see this in marriage counseling a lot. One spouse will react to the other because they've seen him do that for three decades. But when the, the guy, is, the husband, is really starting to grow inwardly and has yet to really communicate what's going on with him, He's wondering, why isn't she seeing me? Because you're not telling her. You've got to vocalize what's going on in the inward self. You've got to let us in and know what's happening down in there. That your heart's changing. You're seeing things differently. You're thinking differently. You're loving differently. You're you're, you're seeking the Lord. We've got to verbalize and let our inside come on out here so everybody can see it. Because most of us are judging one another based on what we see on the outside. He said, Paul says, you don't do that. You're going to lose heart. I, I had the sincere privilege of walking through over 30 chemo treatments with a woman. Not, I mean, we talked on the phone often for a very long time, and our conversations were not superficial by any means, and it was a privilege just to be part of the process. And her favorite saying was, just give the Lord the benefit of time. Let's give the Lord the benefit of time that he's working on each of us inwardly. Try to draw that out of people so we can begin to redefine who we are instead of just what we see with our eyes. Outward versus inward. Perishing versus Renewed. I love the fact that it says, it doesn't say this. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed. It doesn't say that. It says it's being renewed day by day. That is different. There's a phenomenon I've witnessed over 25 years of ministry. I, and it's almost, it happens all the time. It's very consistent. I finally picked up on it. I was like a little slow on the uptake. It took me 20 years to see it. The wife comes in and says, my husband is lost. Will you pray for him? He doesn't know the Lord. He's a, he's a knucklehead. And then the, the husband gets involved in a small group or he comes to a Bible study. And two and, a half, three, two and a half years later, he's born again, starting to seek the Lord. The guy cleans up pretty good. He's showering. <laughs> he's got some stuff, good stuff, good movement going on outwardly. And he becomes a different person. And then she leaves him. She wanted to leave him to start with. And when he changed, she no longer wanted him. I've seen this happen time and time again. You can even set your clock to. We get so accustomed to seeing someone from the outside we dismiss what's going on on the inside? We have to give the Lord the benefit of time. Very important. I guess that doesn't say much about our ministry because they they dump their husband off here and and expect nothing to happen with him. But it does. But it does. Then he says this, for our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. <laughs> Say what? I, I don't know. I thought, it, I thought maybe it was a misprint, but it'd be the first one in my Bible. I thought maybe it was like wrongly translated, but then you look at them all and they're all kind of the same. He says a light, a light, a light affliction. This is what Paul the apostle considers light. So, paste your ears back. Get ready. Here you go. Being whipped and beaten, imprisoned, stoned and left for dead, shipwrecked, ravaged by the perils of waters, robbers, lowered in a basket, weary, toilsome, exhausted, sleeplessness, hungering and thirst, fasting often, cold and naked. That's light. Wow. He says, this is light affliction but it's but for a moment. There are some people that I've met over the years, and I, I put them in their own, uh, like and mentally and emotionally, I put them in their own category. There's like a handful of them I've met over my lifetime, and they, they're all believers. I have like five right now. They're in different churches and different cities, and they're living in different places now. They've moved some and... They spend, I would say, inwardly they're being renewed day by day, but outwardly they're in pain every day, physical pain. For whatever reason, adult onset polio is one of them, pain. <laughs> pain I can't even imagine. Pain that you become so accustomed to, it's just part of everyday life. Pain. Pain. Misery. Uh, There's another woman in Atlanta. You almost like you almost said, "Let's just stop praying." This is like this is some sort of thorn in the flesh, or something going on here, where this person is in pain always. It's so disturbing. But here's the thing: people with affliction that understand weight of glory somehow endure. I don't know. See, there is affliction in this room. We're, we're dealing with diseases and sicknesses and, and lack, relational issues, all that stuff that goes with it. There's all There's something going on usually all the time with somebody. But there's a weightiness. It's light versus weighty. See, your afflictions appear light when you understand weightiness. I'll give you an example. I can call somebody who I know just got a diagnosis. And, and I know it's, uh, it's startling. It's an intrusion and interruption in their life and their plans and everything. I know that. I, I, I get all of that. But I know that some people, when I call them, they're going to answer the phone. And I know they're not going to be downtrodden. That there's a weightiness to them. There's a weightiness to them that makes them more of a rampart or a a, 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 just a, a, a rampart that's not going to get tossed by the wind, by gale force winds. They're going to stand. They've sown into them the word. They, they're praying people. They're seeking the Lord. They're, the Lord's their best friend. They, they, they've amassed a, a life's, not work, but a life's practice of enjoying Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. It, they have a testimony. You just know when you call them, they're not going to be freaked out. You can have conversations with the people who have the weightiness of their faith that anchor them down to the soil, and they don't just freak out and dramatize everything. They they, they know everything's going to be okay, no matter how the outcome is. They know that's the weightiness he's talking about here. See, the, the affliction appears light in the face of the weightiness of Christ in them, the hope of glory. You can have conversations with those people that you can't have with other people. You can have conversations that go something along like this. Before you ask them if they have a verse they're holding on to, they'll tell you. This happened this past week. Yeah, as soon as they say it, you know, well, I'm not surprised. Psalm 91, there it is. Basically what they're saying, that's my anchor in the storm, Psalm 91. I'm claiming that, they'll say. I'm praying that. I'm reading that. They know that the wind and the waves obey Christ. This may not be their first challenge, but they have a weightiness to them. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for our far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There's a weightiness to a person who's being tested, that comes out and you may not even know it's there until the test comes. And then when the test comes, you realize what, you've, what you realize that's been happening inwardly in them all this time has readied them for that challenge. Said another way, the absence of the readiness within them for the challenge, for the diagnosis, whatever it is, really moves them. And, and it, it becomes a real shaky situation. There's a way to handle each one of those situations. But the weightiness is what you're looking for. The weightiness of the glory, Paul calls it. It makes you stabilized. It makes you um, immovable, just like God, without shadow or shifting or turning. It is what it is. I'm not denying I have this situation in my hands, but I am a rampart. I, I am deeply seated in the foundation of Christ. And this storm's coming, and it's not based on age and experience either. It's the weightiness that we acquire in fellowship with God over years, months, could be even weeks, could be even days. The weightiness of a fellowship with God that's going to sustain you through a storm. That's what he's talking about there. Your light affliction. Your affliction appears light in, in light of the weightiness of God in your life. The foundation. The cornerstone. And then he says this, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I'm finally figuring out, you would have thought I would have got this a lot earlier, I'm finally figuring out the purpose of the church in part. The purpose of the church is to create that sense of intimate community and fellowship and friendship with one another to where what we have going on in the inside becomes evident to those around us. All right, what would the church not be? The church would not be someone struggling all by themselves outside of community with something in their life that they've kept secret. They think there's secret from God and secret from everyone else, and it's just there, not being tended to, not being disempowered, not being exposed to the light. That's the absence of what God wants. What God wants is the things that we deal with on the inside, to be trusted with those in the body so that they don't weigh us down, they, overcoming them, anchor us when the storm comes. One of the best things that we can do in our spiritual walk is let people in. Not everybody at the same time, but somebody. And it's not always your spouse. To let someone in, to open the window, pull back the blinds, and let light come in to that place in your life where no one else really knows what's going on. And you'd be surprised how the light kills the mildew. Men, I cannot say enough how important this is to let the light so shine in your life in a relationship with another believer. What we see here today, see versus unseen, I have, you have an unseen congregation and I do too. Let me tell you who my congregation is. You would think it's the people that are here. Yes, but there's more. I have been afforded the responsibility to be responsible to people beyond the ones in this room. Like 12 different nations watch this, pro- this uh, service. There's, uh, there's people all over the country. There's people in the community that, don't, that are dealing with some serious problems. Who aren't attending the church that are part of my quote congregation? What's your God-given sphere of influence? Who do you influence and who's in your congregation as a minister that doesn't necessarily have to be here today? Some are seen, some are unseen. See, mine have, and, and I keep them there in my congregation, so to speak, because they're in my heart. Some have it, one of them has ALS. This is horrible one has polio one has ms more than one ms one cancer suicidal ideation deep depression dialysis seizures restrictive breathing addiction issues dementia anxiety see those are the unseen people in my congregation who's the unseen people you represent in your neighborhood or wherever in your family you see they're out there some are seen some are unseen and what happens here today? Whatever is transacted in your life here today, in this room, from this book, is meant to ready you and prepare you to help your congregation—the people at your country club, or down the street, or the people who be here in a few weeks, or the people who are going to leave in a few. weeks, Whatever the case may be, that's your congregation. Do they see us as having the weightiness of the Lord? You remember the weather channel when, when they got caught faking the wind thing? That was hilarious. It's like some guy's like standing at a 45-degree angle and some toddler's playing behind him <laughs> picking up a bucket of water or something. I'm like, oh, my gosh. CNN got caught on the same thing. But when people see us, You want to know where one source of compassion and empathy is? You know, the world doesn't have a problem with the church as long as the church has compassion. Love. Remember that? Love. What have you overcome? And what are you overcoming? And who in your life has not seen that? but needs to see and needs to hear how you overcame the very thing that they now are dealing with. It's just that simple. If you can share out of your own experience, your own testimony, if you can share that with other people, how you went up and down, but the weightiness of God held you still. If you can do that, if you can share the victory you found. And you know what most people's victory is? I battled that thing every day for 10 years. Well, that's all right. I I almost want to say you you, you could have cut it down to, to maybe one year if you just surrendered. This is the thing we need to figure out. You really want to have victory in your life as a believer? Then figure out how to flee. Figure out how to surrender. Figure out how to get your big brother to fight your battles for you. I don't want to battle anything. I want Christ to battle it for me. I want to flee from the devil. I want to flee from sexual impurity. I want to surrender as often as I possibly can to the authority and lordship of Christ. That's what I want. My guess is half the battles we're fighting, we have because we battled something else. And it exhausted us. Do not lose heart. You're sick today, don't lose heart. You're discouraged, don't lose heart scared, don't lose heart. Ill-prepared, you lack understanding, don't lose heart. Hanging on by a fingernail, don't lose heart. Day by day, slowly, each and every day, God is renewing you. His weightiness is intensifying in your life to withstand the storms that inevitably come. It's not a punitive punishment thing. It's the reality of living in a fallen and broken world. We're not immune from difficulties. I have yet to figure out the fear thing. I'm fascinated by people. People fascinate me. I observe them. I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. But for two years, I just watched people like, don't be as scared of the pandemic And then someone else will say, well, don't be scared of the vaccine. And I'm like, where does this end? Where does this end? It ends in the weightiness of God and a friendship with him. Where his yoke is easy, but his burden is light, but his presence is weighty enough to sustain you in the midst of a storm. What you're carrying around with you If you and the Lord are the only ones that know about it, you may have to get used to carrying it around a lot more often. It's his intent that we're in fellowship one with another. And in that fellowship is a developed and earned trust, transparency, openness, vulnerability, where we can share our needs and burdens one with another. In fact, we can carry one another's burdens and in so doing fulfill the law of Christ. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I don't know what you're carrying. And if no one else knows, I'd love to know. I'll be that person. I know way more than I wanna know about what's going on in this community. But if you need to share, I'm, I'm your guy. because we come forward, let's prepare to take Holy Communion, shall we? What does all this mean? I always bring it back to the thing that matters most. I'm trying in my own life not to discover how I'm going to overcome things. I'm not trying to pontificate into the future what my life is exactly going to look like. I'm, mining. I'm, I'm, I'm at an age where a lot of you are and have been earlier in your life. I'm mining like for gold. I'm panning. What am I looking for? I'm looking for any and every crumb of understanding I possibly can on two things. How wide actually is the love of Christ? How deep is the love of Christ? What is the breadth of that love? What is the length of that love? And and, and, and I just want, I'll never understand it, but I want more of an understanding. Not not just a mental understanding, I want an experiential understanding of what that means. I want you to know that I discovered and panned for some and found some because I'm loving you more. That's That's what I care. That's all I care about nowadays. The only other thing I would say is I just don't want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. But I want to figure out how the power of that resurrection and his love slips out of this mouth and this heart and these hands and these arms. And if need be, if I need to run to somebody, and I know you are too, how high, wide, long, and deep is the love of Christ? I don't know. But I'd like to to find out by demonstrating, by seeking to demonstrate his love through me. How about you? Before I came here 13 years ago, there was one man everyone talked about. I never met him. I knew he was special. His name was Sam. Felt like I got cheated because I never got to meet the guy. He was a legend before I ever got here. ask anybody about Sam, and they'll tell you this. He was the essence of the demonstration of love. I sat down with his wife for hours one day, asking question after question after question. How in the world are there so many people in this community, but one? Is referred to as the man who demonstrates the love of Christ. That bothered me. Let's outnumber him. Huh? Let's outnumber him going forward. I'll remember him. No one else needs to remember him. Let's go love people to death. It's found in these two things you have to be broken and you have to be filled up. When that happens, you leak. A broken man filled up leaks, and that's what we're looking for. We want to leak love into people's life. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your children, your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors, your country club, everybody. Leak the love of Christ. And know that he's taking care of you in the process and there are things unseen going on in your life that he's preparing you it's a weightiness of him himself to handle whatever comes your way be broken and be filled up and leak let's pray is it possible that we've missed the fact that you only want to fill our cup that it spills over we leak. So simple. How do we miss that? Give us, Father, an assurance that you are at work in us and around us and taking care of us and giving us wisdom on how to run a business and a family. So in that assurance and that confidence, you can free us up to minister to a community and to a world beyond ourselves. If If we withhold from the world and act as though you're not helping us personally, what are we doing but making our lives the center of the universe? Thank you for freeing us from our own theology of need that we may meet the needs and wants of others with the love of Christ. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness and ready us this morning, the first day of the week, to set a tone in our trajectory for the next six days. In Jesus' name, amen. As you come to the station, please take the wafer, the broken body of Jesus Christ, dip it in the cup. Listen to what these men are telling you the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sin. Amen.